the Battle of Isandwana, the 22nd of January 1879, well covered on this channel. It was a brutal battle that saw over a thousand British and colonial soldiers killed fighting against the Zulus. Amongst the units fighting for their life that day were 34 men of the Natal Mounted Police. The Natal Mounted Police, or the NMP as it's more commonly referred to, is a fascinating unit. It had a disproportionately large amount of former officers serving in its ranks, sons of generals and men of means. Cam Simpson, good friend of the show, has just finished writing a book about the unit called Blue Blood Troopers in Zululand. And he's joining me today to talk all about the unit and especially those interesting men who served in it. Before we begin the interview though, I just wanted to take a moment to let you know that both Cam and I will be in London later this month for the Clash of Empires exhibition that's taking place at the Royal Philatelic Society. It actually opens today, but most of the speakers will be there between the 12th and the 15th. Cam will be speaking about the NMP, but also about the Frontier Light Horse, and I'll be there filming a lot of it. I'm also planning on having a meetup on Saturday the 15th at the event, so if you're available, get yourself tickets, go to clashofempires.org. You can also join my mailing list over at redcoathistory.com, and when you do that, I'll send you details of the meetup. Anyway, let's get back to today's interview with Cam. I started off by asking him when and why the NMP were formed. In 1874, on the back of the Langalilla Bailey Rebellion, the Natal government realised that the, their local regiments that they had, you know, small corps of, you know, 50, 60 men, um, whilst they were ideal for, like, local operations in short periods of mobilizations. Um, that wasn't the real answer to what they needed. Um, so they decided that they would form what was to be known as the Natal Mounted Police, and it was going to number 55 men. I think it was 150 initially um, local native constables as well. And the idea was that that would be the response to any unrest uprising in the colony. That, that's how they were going to deal with it. It'd be central, central command would be in Peter Maritzburg and they formed in, in Fort Napier. It's a very small force because across the border, the front around motor police at the time had nine field troops and an artillery troop. It was up to 600 men really at, at times. Um, so the NMP was initially a very small force. So the guy that... So just to clarify, Cam, just, just yep. to cut in, when you say across the border, you mean in the, uh, in the Cape, Cape Colony rather than, yeah, in the Cape yep. Colony, just for anyone who's not sure what you meant there. Yeah, the Cape Colony. And for a while, actually, the Cape Mounted Rifles Imperial and the, the Front Around Mounted Police regularly had a, had a troop sent up to Peter Maritzburg. Um, they... they crossed the border regularly and, and assisted with um, the Natal government. So who was going to head this up? There was a number of candidates in the colony at the time. Um, many former British Army officers would retire there and, and take up farming. One man that they identified um, quite quickly was um, Major John um, George Dartnell. He was formerly of the 27th in the Skillings, um, a Canadian by birth. Uh, he'd been in um, 
the British Army for some years and, and retired in 1869 as a major. So his pedigree, as we said, Canadian by birth, he initially served with the 86, which was the, the Royal County Down Regiment. He was in the Indian Mutiny. And as a young 19-year-old during the mutiny, turned 20 during it, um, he was a young subaltern. He was also the adjutant of the regiment. And in April 1858, he's in an attack and he's involved with a, quite a, a violent hand-to-hand -hand fight. He received a gunshot wound and he was wounded four times with a sword. So he was recommended for Victoria Cross and Mench, but he ended up being mentioned in dispatches and was promoted to captain. He was considered a, a reliable, very, undoubtedly very brave young officer who later transferred into the 16th um, Regiment, which was the Bedfordshire's. And then lastly, he joins the 27th in the Skirlings and he's in the, the Bhutan Expedition 1865. And then he retires out to Natal. So he's got a lot of experience. Then in 1874, he would have been about 36 years of age. He's still young. Um, a lot of military experience about him. And they obviously thought he could organise. So he was the first man in through the door. And, and incidentally, although he was appointed the commandant um, of the NMP, they still use, referred to him as major. He's just in a major Dartmouth. So he had 55 men to train up. He briefly went down into the Cape. He spent some time with the FAMP with Commandant Balker and saw how they, they were putting it all together. But he decided to recruit locally in Natal, whereas the, the FAMP had sort of, um, they did recruit in the Cape, but mainly they sent out drafts from the UK. Um, from, from England. He had as a sergeant major a, a chap called William Steen. Um, Steen was 32 years of age, um, a former troop sergeant major in the old Cape Mounted Rifles, just the Imperial Regiment before it was disbanded. Um, very capable character. He later ended up becoming the, the adjutant of the regiment. And it, it's interesting that with Puffy Steen, Puffy was his nickname. When you're reading the police journals, you know, right up into, you know, the period of like Union, they're always referring to great stories about Steen and getting through recruit training with him and, and to be getting a tick in the box by, by Steen. That's a rite of passage into the NMP. You know, he, he, he was the gatekeeper of the quality and Dartmouth recognised him for that. Um, so these initial recruits, weren't really a success. Um, at the original 55, there was a, there was a huge turnover rate. Um, 20 of them had been um, dismissed for misconduct alone. And by the time of the Zulu Lord, there's only nine of them, actual fact, that are, are still um, in the NMP. So they changed their model the media sort of get hold of the issues in the NMP and they felt it was, you know, um, quite a poor show. So they start to recruit in England and they bring out drafts. And, and this is when they, um, the title of my book, Blue Blood Troopers in Zululand, and they start to bring out um, men that are from this emerging middle class 
that's, you know, um, spurred on by the industrial revolution, this emerging middle class there and some upper class as well, um, some former British, British soldiers and officers joined as troopers. Um, so they, they get a better quality of man coming in and they come out, they sign up for three years. So the, desert, the desertion stop, but they're still there because the big problem is the diamond fields. Up at Kimberley. Huge, yeah, a huge lure. And this was a problem for the British Army as well. So getting to the time of the Zulu War, or in the Zulu War, just so you get an idea of the number of men we're talking about, I've tracked down 271 Europeans and 17 um, native constables that served in the police during the war. The native constables will be way more, but the records just haven't survived in the archives. It's quite sad, but we'll, we'll keep searching. Um, so, and when I say the Zulu, where I'm saying really from the period of where the ultimatum was put to the Zulus in, in December 78 until the time in September 79 when the British started to evacuate Zululand. So, when the Zulu war kicks off, Dartmouth at that time, he's got four European officers, officers, he's got 174 NCOs and men available to him. And the statistics say that there were 55 natives, but as far as identifying names, so could only get a fraction of that. Um, so geographically, the force is scattered across the, the colony as such. It's got a, a regimental headquarters in Peter Maritzburg nine or 10 men. There's a detachment up at Fort Durnford um, near Escort. Um, there's another detachment out of Greytown in Boti County, and that was about 25 men. Then down at Harding in the Alfred County, there's a further seven, sorry, 37 men. Now, these men were down on that southern border in Natal because the um, condos were believed to be a threat at the time, and this is on the tail end of the um, Ninth Frontier War as well. So it was decided by Chelmsford that these men needed to stay down there, much to their disappointment. To get an idea before I get onto um, some of the operations, more about the men themselves, you know, just so we can build up this picture in our mind of what these men, um, the backgrounds they come from. So of this 270, out 155 have been born in England, 18 were Irish. There were 18 that had been born in India. 11 were only born in South Africa. There was almost a dozen Scots. There were five Germans. Four, four had been born in France, two in Canada. There was a Tasmanian. Two had been born at sea. And then you've got people from Holland, Malta, Switzerland, and I think it's about 26 that I haven't been able to confirm their place of birth as yet. But the bulk of that 26, I believe, were English. Of their previous experience, you've got 49 of them that um, had previous military experience, 20 of them had previously held commissions either in the the British Army or in the militia, which is quite interesting. And there was one or two of them, I think, were actually 
ex-Royal Navy as well. So on that point, Cam, and you'll probably talk about specific individuals more later, yeah. but what's your, what's your general feeling why so many former officers wanted to come over and be troopers in this obscure police force uh, in South Africa? Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. So whilst I was pondering over this, I read an article and the, it was written about 1910, I think possibly a little bit earlier. And it was talking about the men that had gone out to join, not only it was actually at the time of the article, the Natal police, they dropped the, the mounted reasonable title, the, the Cape Mounted Rifles, the Cape Police, British South Africa Police. And they were saying that families used to meet and the black sheep were sent out. Um, they were told that they're to go to the colonies and, and, and leave. England, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, wherever they're from, and, and to make their way in the world. Um, Sounds like what happened to me and you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems that way, mate, but we won't talk about it. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was an interesting comment, and, I, and I've actually found evidence of one man that was written out of the will. Um, his, his father was, um, I think, a reverend, and he's... His um, grandfather, I think, would have been a member of parliament from memory, but he, he was written out of the will, and and, and he did he, he did a good job at it in Africa. He made a life himself. Then you've got some bankrupt cases. Then you've got men that are just genuinely um, looking for a bit of adventure. You know, I found a, a comment that somebody had, had said that their son that had, he was one of the mental fatalities that had gone out, he was an article clerk. And it just wasn't for him in his father's business. He just needed more in his life. And so he thought he'd go out to South Africa. So it's they've, they've, they've all got their own motive. But these um, there's a couple of the Royal Navy chaps, I think, they were disciplined and they pretty much resigned before they were pushed. It could have been by a mutual agreement. So it's it's quite quite interesting. Um, but then all the there's about 33 of them I've identified that are um, sons of military men, almost all. I think maybe two of them were sons of rankers, but the remainder were sons of officers up to general rank. Um, you've got 22 that were gentlemen, sons of gentlemen or men of own means, another 13 sons of clergymen, merchants and manufacturers, the same number. And then the trades, bakers, drapers and tailors, but business owners are 19. Then you had sons of judges, magistrates, solicitors, another 15, doctors and medical men, civil servants, illegal clerks, um, secretaries, etc. men that are in customs and excise. A um, couple of sons of policemen, schoolmasters, politicians and mayors. And there was one whose um, father was in the royal household. So you're getting an idea of the, the type of recruits that they were bringing in. And you needed letters of reference as well to, to join. So you, you just couldn't walk in through the door. Um, and then on the heels of the Ninth Frontier War, there's a, there's a number of them had fought there, and um, there was 
three of them that actually served with the Frontier Mounted Rifles under Colonel Brabant. Um, this was Troopers Pierce and Sidney Hunter, who was killed at uh, Rock's Drift, and William Dorhill. And Dorhill's father was a general. Um, and interestingly enough, Pierce, um, sorry, Nagel, before that, had served in the Albany Mounted Force alongside, alongside Cecil Darcy, who was to receive the Victoria Cross in the Tulu. Darcy yep, another interesting character. Yeah, so you've got these men coming out of the Ninth Frontier were as well. Good experience behind them, in particular with peers. There's also at the time, out of the men that enjoined between 74 and 79, I've identified 17 of them that served with other regiments at this time in the build-up to the Zulu War. Um, there was Captain Gilbert, who was... Uh, in the in the first battalion, first regiment until native contingent, so he was a, a sergeant and he had regiment number ninety. Um, so he's one of the earlier guys, and there, there's all these other men as well that are in other regiments, frontier light horse included. So you know we're we're at the stage now where the Natal Matter Police we've got these detachments scattered around Natal at the time. January 1879. They've centralised a force at Helton Car. Dartnell, the number fluctuates because men are sent away on errands. Um, there's some issues with horses, etc., and they've, they've moved on. So the number in the field fluctuates, and it's sometimes it's up to about 120. Um, but at the time when they're they've crossed the border, they're in their initial action at, at 12th of January at um, Soraya's homestead. And they um, then they're at Izanwana shortly afterwards. And at the time when the camp's established and on the 21st of January and all this manoeuvring starts to take place where Dartnell goes out on a patrol, he takes 91 men with him of his own police. He leaves behind in camp 34 men, but I actually believe there was a 35th who was a Zulu constable. Um, yet to be fully con confirmed, but he's referred to in his accounts as a constable, so he only can be a, a policeman. Um, so they go out on this patrol. He's also got with him you know, 28 Natal Carboneers, Newcastle Mounted Rifles and Buffalo Border Guard. They're only supposed to be out for a day and they encounter some Zulus. He decides to stay out there and sends word back to Chelmsford and Chelmsford follows out the next day on that fateful day of 22nd of January. But back in the camp of these men that... Um, the 34 left back there, of which 25 killed, nine escaped. So when you look at that memorial, this is another reason why I like to dig in behind the men. But when you're at Izamwana and you're looking at the memorial there, it's just the name, Corporal Lally, you know, Port Lanks, Corporal Campbell, etc. So looking in behind these men, you, know, you can really see the makeup of the and why they fought so hard and, and because their pedigree wouldn't allow them 
any other course of action. You got Corporal Lally, he was killed there. He was um, ex-fronter on Mount of Police. His father had served in the ranks of the 45th and settled in Peter Maritzburg. So essentially, he, he was a local lad, uh, but he had some military experience. Dorhill, his father was a general. He escaped. He'd also had Ninth Frontier War experience. Then you've got um, Corporal Eaton, another chap that escaped. He was also fronter of our police. His father was a reverend. Um, Barry that was killed was a merchant Navy man, also fronter of our police. Troop Blakeman, fronter of our police. He's also killed. And then Trooper Caps is an interesting one. He was formerly a sergeant in the 75th. So there's not a, not a chance that this guy wasn't going to fight. So often you can hear some comments about colonials, or almost like they're substandard. But when you're looking at this pedigree, a lot of experience there. And, you know, clearly these men, that who their fathers are, you know, are going to stay and fight. And um, yeah. a lot of them did. And you've got Trooper Doig is an interesting one. He's, he escapes, but he's um, he was with Durnford in the Natal Carbineers at the Langalilla Bailey campaign and was a survivor of Bushman's Pass. Um, Trooper Lloyd was a former lieutenant in the 47th Foot. His father was also a colonel. Um, Trooper Mears, he's killed. He was a, a former Royal Artilleryman. Parsons, also killed, father a general. And then wow. there's many, many others with the military experience. And, and one of them, Trooper White, had served with the Indian Mutiny in the 109th. My word. So you're, you're getting an idea of, yeah. you know, if, you, if you conjure up, if you watch that, you know, that um, film Zulu Dawn and you see this fighting in the Donga and you get these nameless characters, but that gives you the image. Yeah. of what the fighting would have looked like. And now you know, okay, who were these individual men that were there and why did they behave like this? You know, because fundamentally they were policemen, but when they were transferred over to Chelmsford's command, they effectively became soldiers. That was actually a, an, an issue that Chelmsford had to press home to the Natal government. You've transferred these people to me now. I will be taking care of them. And they're under my command. You know, the same with the, um, the volunteers. Then Rock's Drift, 22nd, 23rd of January. You know, most people have heard of Rock's Drift with his dogged defence of um, one company of the 24th and some odd sods from other regiments who were in hospital. The Natal Matter Policeman had three men in hospital at the time. There was Probably the most famous of them all is um, Trooper Harry Lug, who's later a colonel in the Natal um, Forces. Um, he's only a, a young boy at that stage, 19 years of age. After the attack at Soraya's homestead in um, 12th of January, he's sent to carry a dispatch um, back to Peter Marricksburg. And on his return to join number three column, it's about 113 miles or something, he does it in 11 hours. His horse stumbles and he injures his knees. 
he ends up in hospital. But the time of Rourke's drift, he, he's pretty much mobile again and up and up and running. And there's a troop of green. Um, and he had a, had a brother in the regiment as well. And then there's Sydney Hunter. And Sydney Hunter, I mentioned earlier on, he was both him and Green are laid up with rheumatic fever. But Hunter was an old frontier arm mounted policeman. And interesting enough, it took part in the defense of Ibiza 14 months earlier. So presumably he against knew, their also. Yep, and presumably he knew um, John Langley Dalton, you know, the commissariat assistant commissariat there at at Rourke Strip, who was also at Ibiza and was mentioned in dispatches. It seems probable with such a, a small um, volume of um, troops at Ibiza at the time that they probably recognised each other. I'd like to think yeah. so, but there's no evidence, but it's just you know, too much of a coincidence. They're on the same real estate and in the same mess yet again. <laughs> yeah. They're in the, the second defence. Um, then following, we, are there any just before you move on, Cam? Are yeah. there any surviving accounts from these guys, uh, either from Isandlwana or Rourke's Drift that people could look up or that are in your book? Yeah, I've I've included um, those that I think are, are worth mentioning. Um, there's really nothing new on Isandlwana that I couldn't find many other articles. Maybe there was one that with Isandwana that possibly hasn't been seen before. But what I did find in the Peter Maritzburg archives is when I'm going through the probate records, um, which was quite interesting. Now they said Dartnell handed this over to a Sergeant uh, McLaren, who was been with the regiment or the Natal Matter Police a few years at that stage. He was basically the chief clerk and he took over managing all the estates and there's a lot of great correspondence with the families some of it is very matter of fact and procedural you know like um he's entitled to this much pay who do we send it to we've got some effects but every now and then a family member would write back and you'd get some comments um you'd learn a little bit more about the individual I talked to so and so, and they told me this. And so there's some little tidbits that offer up some new information, but the bulk of the accounts I've got them in there. But I think, as I said, there's only one that's really of any that could be new. That's Trooper Cummings, but um, yep. So yeah, I hope that answers that question. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think it's going to be fascinating. I'm looking forward to reading the book myself. So, yeah. so obviously we've had the the battle at Isandlwana where you know a, a lot of the NMP guys were killed. Then yeah. we've had Rourke's Drift where three took part. What well, what happened to the unit after that? Obviously there were still a lot of survivors who had been out on patrol with Dartnell. What 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 was their progress throughout the rest of the campaign? Yeah, so immediately following the shock of it all, really, the government. Because bearing in mind, this is their standard standing police force, which, you know, and, and the bulk of the force has been taken away as soldiers. So they're not too keen on the police taking part in the second invasion, which they don't. So they, they keep them out of it. 
and they were quite annoyed. They, they go up to join the second division and almost as soon as they, they arrive, the newly formed second division, it's about April, they're pulled, pulled out of the um, out of the division and, and they take no, no, no part in it. But what they do take part in is several patrols back to Izadwana. Um, when they're there, there was a, um, a German corporal of the, the NMP, um, and a corporal Alexander Gross, you pronounce his name. He found the colour belt of the 24th there, um, and you know, Nogs Norris Newman said it was the most interesting object they found then. And then, of course, when they go, they go back in to recover the colours. The NMP aren't there when they find the colours in the river, but they are there at Help Makar on parade when they're marched in. And so Alundi takes place on the 4th of July. The Zulu army is defeated. And then the pacification operations take place. Now, they do become part of this. And so the evacuations on the 2nd of September, I think it's when Wolseley starts, you know, Chelmsford's left at that stage. Wolseley comes in, and that's when they start to pull the forces out. But they are involved in a uh, operation on the 22nd of September, up around that um, area, you know, Natombe, um, the Hermansburg Mission Station and that, where they're, they're trying to subdue the uh, remnants of the Abapalusi. And there was a lot of fugitives up there as well, but it was an area that just wasn't controlled at the time. Yeah. So when Wolseley comes in, he has an escort of Natal Mounted Policemen, um, that's under a, a chap by the name of Sub-Inspector Phillips, who's British-born, who's raised in um, Natal, and then he's sent to be educated in, in the UK, and he spends a brief period of time in the Austrian, in an Austrian Lancer Regiment, of all things, and then he comes back and joins the police. So he, he meets Wolseley, um, and takes him in to help Macar, where he's, Wolsey's reunited with Major Dartnell, who he, who he knew previously. And then obviously they push on with this pursuit of Ketsweo, which was going on at the time. And um, Wolsey also wants to go and have a look at his Andwana and Adundi, and the police are with him as, he, as his escort. Um, Phillips and his men. You know, when they're out with Wolseley, they, they take part in a couple of patrols that are, you know, as mentioned earlier, in the pursuit of the king. Um, they're on one patrol and they're out when, um, I think it was a major, Hugh McCalmont, I think is the way you pronounce his name, he was a seventh Hussars chap, and he was aide de camp to Wolseley. They locate the two missing seven pounders of the N battery that were taken at Izandwana. The Royal Artillery Battery. Um, then, and this is all about August, this is sort of going on, and then the King's finally captured on the 28th of August um, by Major Richard Martyr, the 1st Dragoon Guards. And at, at that stage, um, the police, police under Phillips are um, centralised back at Alundi by the 31st of August, and then a couple of days later, he decides to pull everybody out of, um, out of Zulu land. 
And then there, there was another group under um, Inspector Mansell, 38 men who were at Help Macar for a period whilst Lundi was taking place. And they're sent to join um, Colonel um, Baker Creed Russell's flying column. And that's operating up in this um, area around the Hermansburg Mission Station um, where they established Fort George. And, you know, they're trying to subdue people like the Induna, Asebi, and who ultimately surrenders. And there's a little bit of skirmishing going on, fighting in caves, etc., trying to um, to bring all these Indunas in that have, um, that have been holding out. And the, the Natal Matter Police are present on the 22nd where there was a, a surrender and a cage blown up with dynamite. Um, and then that's pretty much it for them. They do take place, to, sorry, take part in the, the burying of the dead at um, Shaban and Latombe Drift, which I thought was interesting. Um, no real details about it. It was just a comment that they, they took part in it. And they also visited the... Um, the site of the old Kandula Lager, where um, what of that is his victory on um, 29th of March. So in, in total, cost to the NMP, 33 fatalities, um, 25 killed with Zambuana, one at Rockstrip, six um, died of disease and one committed suicide. But it's interesting with this depletion of numbers and because of their recruiting model, at the time, they requested through the Natal agent in London an immediate replacement. And I think it was a number of 60 men that they indented for. They did say that men could join in Natal, short service enlistments, the six-month period, but very few actually do, interesting enough. But this draft that comes out it arrives in June, and those of them that are already experienced, like former military experience like these men that held commissions, I think in that draft there was about 12 of them that had former commissions. These men are all pushed forward, and they join this pacification um, period, and that they do take part in that. The bulk of them, you could say, were genuine rookies, and rookies was the expression that they used for the recruits then. Um, and these men needed to train up. They did qualify for the South African War Medal without a clasp, um, so probably the easiest campaign medal they were going to earn um, back in Peter Maritzburg. Um, and interesting enough, there was one individual um, that was so traumatised about what he had seen at Izanwana, which many of them were, and some of them did write about it, but there was one, one chap, um, Trooper John Field Walker, and he was sent back to England and he was admitted into um, a mental hospital. And as a result of his Zulu war experiences, and, and he remained in it until the end of his life. I think he died just before World War II from memory. Wow. They moved, they moved him to several institutions. Um, and he, he falls into the blue blood category. All of his brothers had served in the as army officers or navy officers, 
And one of them retired, I think the younger brother retired as an admiral. My word. So he was uh, he was from some pedigree. But sadly, it seems we, we think of PTSD as being a modern thing. But uh, I guess that's probably what some sort of incarnation of PTSD. Yep, yep. And there were others, but I can't attribute it to Zulu War Experience Service. There was one chap, Trubil, George Hughes, from memory, and he was one of these old imperial cape-mounted riflemen and had all sorts of scrapes when he was in the service and then cleaned his act up and um, he, he committed committed suicide at one point, it was late, later in the year or the next year, um, it was heavily written up at the time in the um, in the Natal papers. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, yeah, he had a rough life, and and I think a lot of them there is an interesting men, nevertheless. Mm. And, and and this is what I've tried to bring out: the good, bad, and the uglies. And when you're researching a character, like opening up on Trooper. You know, John Field Walker, we've just talked about. You start with a clean sheet. You know, it might have had a few little tidbits on these people, and I knew the direction it was going to go. But sometimes, you know, wow, this person's got so many knocks in his life, or this guy's done really well. There's people in trouble with the law. Um, I think from memory, one, one individual is essence, real of domestic issues going on. He's a regular soldier, and he basically clears out on his wife, and she's in a, a mental institution later on. Um, she's an interesting character in her, in her own right. Um, I suppose normal, normal stuff, yeah. really. You know, yeah. life's, life's tough. Well, I don't know what was then as well. Yeah, I think much tougher then than it is now. But uh, before we look at any specific individuals, Cam, I just wanted to ask, so Zulu War finishes, what happens? Does the NMP just go back to its sort of no, you know, yeah. normal policing good. role? Does it serve in future conflicts or, yeah, or uh, yeah, does good. it get wrapped up? Good, good point. The, the Zulu War really put the NMP on the map. It made it a, a police force of choice to join in South Africa. Now, promotion, because of at this stage, at the end of the Zulu War, the FAMS being dismantled, the Cape Mounted Rifles was taken over. It's still nine troops strong with an artillery troop. Promotion is going to be quicker in the CMR. Promotion was not in the NMP. That was the downside of it. But their numbers increase. They, um, the, when the gun war kicks off, that the NMP, they've already got people down on the um, on the border, this Harding troop down there, and they've increased the numbers there. And they take part in patrolling on the border during the gun war. They do qualify for the medal later on, but they take part in no fighting. They're essentially stopping the passes. They're trying to stop refugees and raiders from coming into the colony or to patrol it, cattle thief theft, etc. Um, then they take part in the, the first Anglo-Boer War. They see some action in that. Um, they still emerge with a good reputation. They don't 
take part as um, any real set piece battles as a, as a full unit. They're basically in detachments. Because bearing in mind, the colony still needs to be policed. You can't denude it and bring everybody in and centralise them. Um, they take part in that. Um, then the Second Anglo-Boer War was a big one for what is then the Natal Police. In 1894, they, their title of um, mounted was extracted. They still are mounted, but they call them the Natal Police because they end up with the Water Police as well. And later on, the, the Railway Police, um, part of it comes under them as well. Then the Bambatha Rebellion. And then ultimately, um, it, 1910, you know, Union of South Africa, and then the military forces and police forces are all restructured and they become the um, South African Mounted Rifles, of which now, before I forget about this character, one of the men that wrote heavily about, he wrote a, a history of the um, Natal Mounted Police, Natal Police, was a trooper Clark, who was a young, young soldier at the time of the Isandwana campaign. He was out with Dartnell, so he survived. He was the first commanding officer of the second South African Mounted Rifles when it was formed in 1913. Mm. And he takes them to German Southwest Africa. And there's still, still a sprinkling of old NMP men in the ranks at that stage. I think the 2IC was a Zulu War veteran that hadn't served with the NMP in the war. He did with another regiment. Um, this chap, Clark, by the way, um, ends up in 1919 fighting up in Archangel against the Bolsheviks. And oh, so, wow. Yeah, he picks up an, an ODE who's attached to the um, 201st machine gun. So you mentioned some fascinating characters. Who were some of the ones that stood out for you from your research? Or you'd like to maybe give us a sort of a little overview of their lives? Yeah, I suppose, you know, apart from Dartnell himself, um, there, there was a sergeant at the time, um, Mason, um, J.A. Mason, um, known as Jack in, in the NMP. So he's... Um, his father was a um, a French um, linguist, and he was English-born, but he was um, well, well known for um, writing books about um, French literature, and he was a he was a master at, at Harrow. And Mason had joined the militia as an officer. He did about a year um, with them, seventy-three, seventy-four, or something like that, and he. Head, heads off to Africa and joins the NMP and um, is a sergeant at the time of the um, Isandwana campaign. And there, there's even one account that says that, you know, when at Isandwana, when the um, Chelmsford's columns heading towards Rock's Drift and that period where the, the tattered Zulu army was coming back and they passed each other, it, you know, there was a couple of loose shots, but, you know, Mason was allegedly one of the guys that sort of, you know, let out a few choice words to them. Um, and he um, he stays with the force and he goes to, um, he's in, down at the border in Harding during the gun war. He's, he's also in the, um, the First Boer War as well. 
and then he's, he's commissioned as a sub-inspector um, straight after, which is um, was no surprise to see. Um, seems to be well thought thought about. Then it's about 1897. He's um, he resigns from the police force. He's pensioned pensioned out. Um, but you know it's interesting because his background. It comes the time of the Boer War. He serves in the ranks of um, Kitchener's Fighting Scouts, which was commanded initially by Johann Kolmbrander, a Zulu War veteran. I know you you know a little bit, bit about him. The White Whirlwind book is the one that most people would like like to remember. I've got his I've got his book right here somewhere, right behind me. Typically, now I've mentioned it, I can't see it, but I do have a copy of that book right right here somewhere. Here we go. There we are. Yep, that, that's that's the one. The White Whirlwind yeah. by TV Bullpin. Yeah. Anyway, going off on a tangent well, there, but uh, I think well, some won't, of listeners may enjoy that. Sadly, you won't find anything on Mason in there, but um, but he serves with the first regiment, the second regiment. He's wounded in a um, nineteen oh one in the in the Free State. I think he's in the second Kitchen's Fighting Scouts at that that stage um, in an action against um, a Commodore Boss. Um, then come the time of the, the First World War, he's back in the saddle again, but with a commando to Southwest Africa. And then he, he comes back and he's, um, he does a bit of time as like a special constable and he's back at, you know, so he's getting on a bit, um, back at Fort Napier. And I didn't mention this earlier, but Fort Napier is actually where the NMP first had their headquarters. So it would, would have been a, an interesting experience for him. But um, when you think of his background, just the way that he moved, his, his son served in, in the army. So there's a, there's a man that's gone from Zulu War through to the First World War, which, there, you know, mentioned Clark earlier. He does it. Um, one of the survivors of is Andwana, um, Trooper Stevens, he also serves in the First World War, right at the tail end wow. of it, actually. He does home service. Um, so they, they they bring him on board. There was. I'm just I'm just imagining, mate. Imagining you when you were a young soldier, and uh, you know someone nudges you and say, "Oh, that bloke over there, he was at Isandwana." I mean, you know what? Yeah. Tw- nearly yeah. forty years yeah. earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it'd be fascinating, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there, there was there was a few others, and just while I'm on that that tangent of and serving in the First World War, there were two men, their names elude me at the moment, um, but they returned to England after the war. And come the Boer War, they joined Locke's Horse. Now, Locke's Horse was essentially a, an irregular regiment. It was raised at the same time that the Yeomanry was being raised, but the difference with this regiment is they tried to fill it with men with South African experience. And it, it, you would see men that had served Cape Mounted Rifles, have been in the British South Africa Police, in the Matabele, the Shonaland Rebellions, um, you know, men of all sorts of experience. But the, two of them joined Locke's Horse, and their regimental number is something like 127. One of them takes, the other one's 128. And um, But one of these men joins up in the First World War and he 
he joins like county regiments in England, but he just fails to get away. You know, you can see there's a desperate attempt to to get away to the Western Front or, you know, out to um, Gallipoli. That doesn't happen, happen for him, unfortunately. I think um, as far as combat experience goes, I mean, it's, you know, First World War, like Clark was the one that lasts the longest. Um, but then there's, a, there's another chap, and this is sort of typical of the, of the type, really. Um, Trooper C.C. Davies. He, um, he later serves in the South African Light Horse in the Boer War. So, you know, most readers would know the South African, or viewers would know the South African Light Horse. It was a locally raised regiment, but it was more famous for this is the regiment that Churchill and his brother served in during that um, the, the Natal campaign period, 1900 to 1999. So he, he's in that. Um, and come the First World War, he's retired and he's living in Nice. And, um, you know, you, you know he, he seems to be enjoying life, but he promptly joins the British Army, goes into a line regiment. And, um, but however, he, when he goes to France, he doesn't join a battalion in the trenches, but he's a railway staff officer, serves the entire of the war in that capacity. And, and I suppose, you know, like what you're saying, you know, young soldiers would be going back to Blighty and moving through and seeing this sort of, this angry guy standing on a railway station trying to control <laughs> troops with a Zulu war ribbon on and a, and a ribbon for the ball war, you know. Sort of, yeah. Um, but, <laughs> legends, legends, one and all. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, that the um, the Spanish influenza cleans him up. Oh no. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Quite sad. Um, there's a, another two of them end up in the northwest mounted police. Um, one of them becomes an inspector. You know, he's involved with. Um, you know, that the campaign out against Louis Riel is, is involved with that. Um, but when he retires from the police, he wants to go make his fortune. And it doesn't happen. And he, he dies, sad circumstances, destitute. Um, he, he has a run in with the law as well um, at, at one stage. So he's, he's in a bit of strife and he, he dies impoverished circumstances um which is, which is quite sad i think montague white was his name um, several of them they go out to australia a few more that end, end up in the united states um you know many many go back home um some of them you know um, stay on in, in south africa of course and there was a lot of them went out to the um, the diamond fields almost as a group um, in the free state, the diamond fields out there and um, at the Arcus Fontaine. I think there was something like about a dozen of them. And that Trooper Stevens I talked about, he's one of them. He goes out with um, Green, actually, Trooper Green, that was at Rock Strift, and um, they, they form a business together. And you see a little bit of that. There's these patterns of migration at the time, which is interesting in itself, how these men are moving from, you know, a couple go to Canada, Northwest Mounted Police, then many go up to Rhodesia as well, 
up to Mashona land, Matabili land. Um, they're in the rebellions up there in the same units once again. Um, yeah, so just, just amazing, uh, interesting patterns of service. Yeah, absolutely fascinating group of guys. And so your, your book kind of really delves into all of these characters, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. So I've made every attempt to find out from the cradle of the grave what these men were all about, which is so it's a lot of lot of research in it. Um, you know, I, I would draw on the you know the archives repositories in South Africa, like the Cape Archives, of, you know, full of records of these men. Um, same up in Peter Maritzburg as well. Um, I used to walk through the door and they would cringe. I think I thought, here we go. <laughs> you know, 60 boxes need to be produced. And um, yeah, so it, the, the, the book is really, it's a, it's a biographical history. Of them. That's what the, it's, a, it's about. It's about the men. Well, I, I for one, am, am looking forward to, to getting my hands on a copy of the book. Where, when's it out, mate? Yeah, so it's currently being formatted right now. And um, the intent is that it's going to be ready to go for the 1st of July, uh, coinciding with the Clash of Empires. Yeah, which is the and same day this, this, should be, uh, this should be out. So if you're listening, it should be out today. Yep. Nice one. <laughs> and how can people get their hands on that, Cam? Uh, listen, I, I, of course, I'll, have, I'll ensure that some are, are available at the um, exhibition itself, but it'll be on Amazon with, with my Brilliant. other book. So when you say the exhibition, that's the Clash of Empires that's taking place at the Royal Philatelic Society from the 1st of July. That's and right. I, believe, I believe you're going to be speaking about the NMP. Is that right? Well, yeah, I'm going to be talking about the Frontier Light Horse as well. And then obviously there's a, there's a day where we are talking about our new books. Brilliant. And I think people will need tickets to go if they want to attend from the 12th to the 15th, which is where most of the speakers, including yourself, are speaking. And I think the rest of the time, I think it's free, isn't it? People can come and look at the exhibits that are on display at the Philatelic Society. But between the 12th and the 15th, there's a lot of fascinating talks, including yours. So if anybody's listening, I would say come down. You might get the chance to hear Cam speak, possibly meet him. And I'm also having a bit of a meetup probably on the Saturday, the 15th. So maybe Cam, if he's around, might be able to come in and show his face. And if any listeners and viewers want to come along, that's at the Royal Philatelic Society. Just get your tickets from clashofempires.org. And I'm even trying to get some T-shirts made that I can give out. So the first few people, first few people there, maybe yourself, Cam, if you're lucky, might get a Redco History T-shirt to sport at all your, all your favourite events. Yeah, nice one. I'm really looking forward to this because you look at the names that are going to be there. You know, it's, it's going to be fantastic. Really, really great experience. And yeah, I'm always looking for people to bore. About all this. <laughs> and I'll, be, I'll be wanting to talk about other subjects that I, I'm researching. You know, I'm writing about Morosis, the gun war. And, um, it's always nothing better than talking to a, a, a like-minded person. Exactly, exactly. Well, hopefully there'll be a lot of like-minded people there. I mean, off the top of my head, I'm thinking John Laband will be there, friend of the show. He's been on the show before. Um, yep. Kate, Kate Bur Burbeck, she'll be there. And, yeah, there's so many people. 
Um, who's your friend who's coming from Australia to talk about the famous painting of Rourke's Drift? Brad Manera. Yep. Brad Manera. Yep, he's coming across. He's, he's, he's arriving on the 1st. So it's going to be really, really good. I'm, I'm excited, and I think anyone listening may want to try and come along. If you're into the Zulu War, Anglo-Zulu War of 1879, we'll see you there.